So this is a first and I am super excited. This week's episode is part one of a two-part sit-down I had with Daniel Angel of Apex Development Group. Apex is a real estate investment group based in Atlanta, Georgia, with origins in Medellin, Colombia. That's Colombia and South America, not Colombia, South Carolina. Colombia has a very special place in my heart and I have visited a handful of times, but not nearly enough. In part one, we chatted about in-house versus third-party functions. How do you decide what you keep in-house versus what you outsource to a third party? And really the progression from single family to multifamily investing. Make sure to join next week for part two of my talk with Daniel. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate of Things podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Elliott, joined today by a wonderful guest, Daniel Angel of Apex Development Group. Daniel, thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Dalton. Thank you for having me. This is great. <laughs> yeah, I, I know we had some time to catch up and this is the first episode of 2022 for us. So it's exciting to cruise into the new year on a high note. Before we get into the nitty gritty, you're from Colombia, right? Yeah, exactly. Where I was born and raised down in South America. There you go. Yeah, I, we're based in, at least at the, the day job, Lemoine Capital. We're based in Greenville, South Carolina. And good call out there that it's not Columbia, South Carolina for my American friends. It's Columbia, South America. Columbia has a, a super special place in my heart. My wife and I set our vows in Cartagena. And we've been back down there a handful of times since and just love the city, the country, the people, the food. I love the food way too much. The baked goods, postres, it's always a problem. I have to fast every week before I go down there and I still end up putting on 10 pounds. So the Colombian life is, we're in our late 20s. So thinking about retirement, Colombia is, it's on the short list. I absolutely love it. And uh, off the podcast, we have to catch up and I have to pick your brain on all the, all the secret spots and tips and tricks. Absolutely. Sounds like we're talking about the same place because same thing happens to me. Every time we're back visiting family, I'm not from Cartagena, but great place. Awesome city. A lot of history down there. I'm from Medellin, another, you know, one of the main cities in the country. And, and yeah, you'll, you'll have the same, the same issue when, whenever you go down there and happy to share some thoughts about where to go and how to move around. I'll hold you to it. Now, now let's jump right to it. So Apex Development Group, based in Atlanta, Georgia. Just give me the run through of what Apex Development Group is and what your role is at the firm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks again, Dalton. Apex, we're a uh, real estate investment firm. We're focused in obviously the Atlanta metro area, as you mentioned, and we're focused in residential investments. Started off in single family investments, strict flipping in, in our you know early days, and then shifted over to more like a rental product, raising equity from investors via you know syndication structures. And slowly but surely transitioning ourselves into the multifamily world, as we say internally, like our phase two or like evolution, you know, and that, that's been, you know, in a, in a very small nutshell, our story. But yeah, that's what we're, what we're doing, raising equity and, and picking and, and evolving in as good as we can investments. 
Yeah, and this is kind of the real estate side of the fence. That's not your first rodeo career-wise, right? What were you doing before you got into real estate? Well, actually, I was born and raised in Colombia, but I had the opportunity to get my undergrad in Atlanta, actually, in the States, Georgia State. Once I graduated, I went back to Colombia and I held a few corporate positions in you know, investment banking, corporate banking, and later on, I worked for a couple real estate investment firms in Colombia, where I learned in different asset classes, because there's no multifamily and there's no quite like institutional single family portfolios in Colombia. But I learned in you know more like the commercial real estate, a lot of the hoops and loops of, of the investment world and structuring and the finance world. And that's where like every everything about my, I guess, real estate passion started. Once I moved back to the States, that's where, you know, the early stages and early, early steps of Apex began. Got it. And this is a kind of explain it to me like I'm five question, but how would you explain to a kindergartner the biggest difference in analyzing property in Atlanta, Georgia versus analyzing property in Medellin or Cartagena? Is it kind of super similar, you could run it off the same spreadsheet and assumptions, or are there some big, maybe not nuances at that point, or there's some big differences whenever someone's looking at, you know, kind of two pretty different markets like that? Sure. No, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a really good question. And essentially like the bones of the analysis are similar. Essentially you're looking for, you know, a cost, you're looking for an income and, and expenses. So that's pretty much the same thing the, where the difference lands essentially is in the way how assets or real estate assets are valued uh, in or appraised, I would say, in the two different countries. So in the states where we have a much more evolved or institutionalized structure or market, we go based off of cash flow, essentially, or primarily. In Colombia, you know, you do see a little bit of that starting, but historically, and I think up to this point still, it's more about comparables depending on tra- transaction transaction base. So it's more like a price per square foot regardless of cash flow, which doesn't really make sense for the institutional world. And in essence, it makes sense for Colombia just because there's no institutional market to it yet, right? So it's more like individual investors that are just buying assets here and there and then going off of that. So it's more like the valuation or the appraisal process that varies. Other than that, it's pretty much the same thing. Got it. That makes sense. So one thing, you know, in doing some research and I have a couple of the Apex development decks pulled up, you know, I'm interested in how you've grown the business and developed in-house versus third-party parts of the business, right? What you've chosen to keep, you know, within the direct control of staff on hand versus outsourcing it to a third party. I think of at my day job at Lima One, some of our most critical decisions over the timeline of our company have been what did we keep in-house And what do we choose to rely on third parties for? Our our servicing and construction management functions, both of those are fully in-house. And those were tough decisions to make because the cost to build those functions out are large. 
It adds a whole other arm to your business. And, you know, looking through Apex, you know, planning and development, project management, acquisition and sales, building and interior design, investment management. There are many, many businesses within your business. So can you walk me through how that's progressed over time and how you go through the kind of T-chart analysis of what do we keep in-house versus what do we engage third parties for? Absolutely. And I think the parallel that you make with Lima is a great one because in essence, it's like the same train of thought that, that goes in our company for these kind of decisions. And I would start by saying our main business plan is value-add investments. So, you know, since there's renovation or construction involved, that's a good piece of the puzzle, but it's not the only one. And, you know, similar to you guys where you decided to do servicing and doing construction management in-house where the industry tends to go the other way, it's a very similar process for us, or it was a very similar process to us. You know, if, if we're saying most of the value that we're creating will come from construction, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to have that in a third party company. Although it sounds to be, or it seems, or normally is like the easier way or the easier route. So just as you said, I mean, it, it has taken us a lot of time and effort to build a strong construction and renovation team. You know, sometimes longer, you know, we think longer that, than what we expected, or it's taken a little bit more steps than what we originally thought. But in the end, once we see we have control of the product and the process to get to that product, it pays off, right? So that's one of the main things that we decided to keep in-house. And that's like one of the first ones that you would tend to go with a third party in this kind of business. The other two, which we think are key are investment analysis or like underwriting and I guess like acquisitions. There are really good groups that can do that for you. But we think we have our own financial model that we build and we kind of like tweak around constantly and continuously as we go. We feel having control of that is always going to give us an edge in returns and at least in analysis and and you know, we tend to be faster to give an answer or to have like a, an answer to anyone that, that's offering an asset to us. Same with the finance process. Like that's what I'm in charge of, like underwriting and then like investor relations and, and everything that has to do with finance or corporate finance, capital markets. Those are the main things that we feel are have to be in-house. The only thing that we do third party is property management. And, you know, the reason for that is first, we feel that's a trade that's a lot more specialized at this point. At probably at some point, once we have a larger portfolio, we would consider having that in house for now. Having a, you know, a good group with a good unit count under management has been pretty much our decision on, on that for third party. The rest we have in house. Yeah, the third party property management, that what you just said, how you outlined it seems to be the thinking of most folks who are in the multifamily space. And even on the SFR side of the fence, whenever you get above that 10 property threshold, that really cross out of that tier that 90% of investors are in, into the more rarefied air. It's a strange thing. It's something that I try to step outside of my mortgage industry knowledge sometimes and look at it without any predispositions or kind of schema. 
And it seems like the property management side should should be one of the easier pieces, but it is it is not. Yeah, it is its own uh, its own trade, and it can eat away at your time. That probably being the biggest resource that it can drain out if it is not kind of executed flawlessly. And the best way to execute it flawlessly is to have a you know that be your specialty. So that's that's no surprise to hear from you that just one more tick in the column of third party PM is the way to go. You mentioned your underwriting model, and I'm curious with how crazy. And in the next episode, I want to jump into the Atlanta market and do kind of a deep dive there. But with how crazy just American real estate has been, that pretty much no matter what part of the country you're in, not only on the valuation side, but on the rent side of the fence. I am originally from Merle's Inlet, just south of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I was down there for the holidays and was talking with a friend who had their rent go up 70%. And that's not a terribly uncommon thing. So you have all of these pieces of, I guess, inputs that are kind of constantly changing and they have been constantly changing over the last year, year and a half. How have you had to tweak your underwriting analysis and approach to properties throughout the last 18 months? Yeah. And and, and I think these last, I don't know, eight to 10 months, at least like post pandemic or post, you know, COVID, uh, I call it post on, we're not post pandemic yet, but you understand have been the most challenging times for underwriting. Just to give you an example, our last multifamily asset that we acquired at $100,000 a door, after three months, short, shy of three months, the neighbor neighboring property was going already for 25% more. Brokers will come back with you know rent figures that, that, that seem a little bit too optimistic. And that's where we feel we've been more cautious, right? So yes, Excel, you can move around as much as you can and you can make any deal look great. But we feel we're going through, you know, some times of uncertainty in a lot of senses, like both income expenses, CapEx, and we can talk a lot more about that. And we just try to be as conservative as we can. So in the past 10 months, we've seen more deals go you know, through our desk and us not being able to pull the trigger. Or even if we pull the trigger, we haven't been granted any of these. But we just you know keep calm, keep going, and just keep doing our thing. Try not to move too many variables at a time, assuming things will continue as they are. So great to hear there's people having... 10, 15, 20% rent increases. But then if you don't consider, you know, potential delinquencies, potential, you know, people not paying evictions and all that, then you can't only see the the shiny side of the coin, right? So we try to put everything in the same bag and, and, and just keep it as optimistic, as reasonable as we can and keep going. So just as an example, our last transaction acquisition was in June, 2021. We haven't been able to hit another one yet. We'll keep pushing early 2022 and we, we just are comfortable with what we're doing. Yeah, the thankfully, I think what what I'm seeing on the day job side of the fence and we just wrapped up you know, conference season 
which runs really September through the end of the year. So sitting in on a lot of panels with folks who are much more intelligent and more data-driven than I. The positive thing is it seems like there's not a lot of thought that there's going to be a precipitous drop off the cliff. You know, some markets are going to have, you know, more of a correction or cooling off than others, but it seems like the supply piece or lack thereof is going to help keep home prices steady. So what's going to happen, the acceleration of appreciation is going to cool down to the the normal in markets. And then you really just have the supply demand piece priced in, which is going to take years to catch up to in even the most optimistic estimates, right? And on that piece, you know, knowing that the value add part of the business is a big focus for you, materials are a big focus for you, you and your firm, right? What kind of pains have you had or have you been able to be without pain? If you are without pain, you may have people with pitchforks showing up at your door because whether it's personally or professionally, self and everybody else I've talked to just has nothing but woes about trying to buy anything right now. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And and obviously, we've had that kind of challenge end of 2020 or like second half of 2020. And I guess like all 2021 have been challenging in that regard, starting with lumber. So we, we're still, as, as we spoke before, we're still doing single family renovations and our renovations are pretty, pretty heavy lifting renovations where, you know, framing is a, a big piece of our budgets and that just like screwed everything and moved everything around. So starting from there, going through, you know, windows, trim, doors, appliances, you know, so it's, it's a matter of supply, a matter of what materials. So it's been a challenge of being able to pre-order, have stuff in time, but also like being able to move budgets around as well as re-picking materials to whatever is available and being able to stay consistent or as consistent as possible with the end product. That's been our main challenge for the past 12 to 16 months. Clearly, you know, we do have a very strong market for sale on one end, but then you have to figure it out on the other end to be able to have something out there for the market, right? So I think that's where our experience, our background, our track record kind of like shines. And, and, you know, if you're able to put all those pieces together, you'll be fine. If, if not, then you'll be in trouble. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Could you put a percentage to the amount of a project that you have to swap out? You had item A in the budget, but you have to go, you can't get item A for six months. Is it 5%? of the project? Is it 20% of the project? How much of a, an average project is being affected? Absolutely. So the more in-depth answer to your question is there are some materials that you can't swap, right? Example, lumber. You can't choose to do your framing with something else, correct? So with lumber, it's a matter of you buy what, what's available and you buy it at whatever price they have it. So that's about 25% of our single family budgets. And so in 25% of our budgets, we've had from 100 to 120% in price increases that there's nothing you can do. Just pay, keep going, close your eyes and go. And then in about 20% to 25% of the rest of the budget, right, which is 
you know, appliances, windows, trims, stuff that you can switch and move around. We've had to do it. So, and I would think the most, yeah, the worst has been appliances by far. And it's been just a matter of this brand's not available. This model number is not available. Oh no, wait, I only have one piece of the package, but then, you know, you can't move people in or you can't sell the property without appliances kind of thing. And that's where it's been most challenging. So it's it's more stuff that's in the consumer goods space where you have you know you have all time high savings rates and we could we could go down the rabbit hole of the why behind that and, and the massive stimulus that enriched the world but yeah so it's the consumer goods that are the harder ones to get the you know you roll up to Costco and you can get appliances and you're competing against consumers on those things whereas I'm not going and buying a truckload of lumber because I'm not doing any real estate projects and I have no need for a truckload of lumber, right? So I think this is a perfect point that we can break. And I excitedly say break because this is the first two-part kind of series I'm, I'm having going on on this podcast, right? We're going to do one more episode after this. So Daniel Angel, Apex Development Group, thank you so much for joining. And everyone who's listening, don't go too far. Next week, we're going to have Daniel on for another episode. We're going to dive deep into a little more about his business, talk through the transition from single family to multifamily, and do a deep dive into one of my favorite markets in this country, Atlanta, Georgia. So Daniel, thank you so much for joining. Dalton, thank you so much for having us and uh, happy to have this one and our next episode with you guys. Thanks so much. I love it. Thanks everyone for listening and catch us next week for episode number two with Daniel Angel. Take care. Thank you. Are you a real estate investor looking for the right lender that can finance all your deals and help you scale? Lima One Capital has the best suite of loan products in the industry bar none. Whether that's fix and flips, fix and holds, building new construction, or buying rental properties, they have incredible financing solutions for it all. A reliable, common-sense lender is one of the most important parts of your investment team, and that's exactly what you get with Lima One. Let Lima One Capital show you how they've helped thousands of real estate investors scale and increase their wealth. Check out LimaOne.com or call 800-259-0595 to speak with a consultant in preparation for your next project. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate of Things podcast. Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market. Follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.